Hey, all right, this is Tim Crispin. You're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm good. Um, funny, funny story. My uh, my daughter had a bit of a headache the uh, day before yesterday, and so she didn't go to school, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday she went to school, and she was like, well, if I start feeling bad, I'm going to call you, and you can pick me up. Sure enough, well, she didn't call me. The um, school called my wife and was like, um, yeah, so Pepper needs to come home. Also, uh, your son needs to come home as well, and she needs a COVID test before you guys can come back. Oh. And we're like, okay. So I just kind of drop everything I'm doing and go down and, you know, pick them up. And uh, then my wife takes... My daughter go get a test and um and she's like I think the problem was my ponytail was too tight. It was too <laughs> high on my head and it was too tight. And I was like, oh, it makes a lot of sense because like if you had COVID, we'd all have COVID. I think somebody would be exhibiting like a fever or a cough or like mm-hmm. any number of things that nobody here is exhibiting any signs of, you know, but I do appreciate that the schools being um, stringent in their concern about people not like spreading the virus or whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. it's funny when you tell somebody that your 10 year old daughter's getting a COVID test, um, really changes the vibe. It's like, it's because her ponytail was too tight. Uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Like, people are still like, Okay, well, it's good to see you from a very far distance. Um, bye. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. But for the little pod of people that I've, like, quarantined with, I'm like, yo, you, listen, let's say she has COVID. <laughs> she plays with your son every day. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I don't know which way it fucking traveled, but... uh you staying away from me now it's um you know the old expression that i love to use you can't put the shit back in the dog man um <laughs> so that's where i'm at right now well yesterday i took uh i took some closet doors out of uh some closets because my i think what happened is that when the people sold this house to us they were like, oh, these closet doors look like shit. Let's just uh, put some new ones on that don't really have to work, and we'll just toss the old ones in the closet. So I pull out all these old rickety-ass-looking closet doors, and then I went into the shed, and I, I took my brand-new chainsaw to them, and went, Arr! and that was cool, and I got dust all over the place. And then the thing is, though, I got to clean that shit up. This yeah, is, this is bullshit, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the price of laissez-faire free market capitalism, you know, is you have to clean up the dust. Uh, mm. you, you know, that's that's real. like the the good part is you could like fucking host an animal orgy in your basement if you wanted to. But uh, you'd have to clean that up, too, uh, which would probably be worse. Um, but, uh, dude, doors are no joke, man. Like we looked into buying some doors and it's just like, cause somebody dented the shit. Oh, it was our movers actually dented the shit out of our door. 
uh, when we were moving out of last place and we were like, uh, these people didn't buy a house with a dented door. Uh huh. You know, like, let's go try to buy a new door. And that shit's not easy, man. It's like, it's like, okay, this is the pitch of the door. This is the height of the, yeah. And it's like, oh, this isn't a standard door jam, huh? <laughs> well, that's going to be fucking, dude, in the house I live in now, the front door, uh, comes to a fucking point. Mm-hmm. It's like, like if a child drew like a three story house is the shape of the door. Yeah. You know, like yeah, most yeah. of it is door and then it's like a triangle on the top. <laughs> and I, I'm like, God, if that thing ever breaks, I'm gonna have to go to like Gnome Depot to fucking get it fixed or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's like there, there's there's not a fucking standard issue door mechanic that could fucking <laughs> get me another one of these. Who's your door guy? Yeah. Well, there is no door guy for that unless his name's like <laughs> Jerry Winkles or something like that, you know, <laughs> lives in the Keebler tree. <laughs> um, quick question before we get back into Broken Van by yeah, the Broadways. Is there a band that is worse than the Doors? <sighs> That's and, a great question. Because and we'll, we'll disqualify it, you know, bands that are like racist or fucked up or anything like that. Just like. Yeah, yeah. Um the doors suck about as bad as a band can possibly suck. It's like, it, you know, like right now it's like, um, I don't believe we've got an atheist president who fucks porn stars and wants a space for us. And I still hate his guts, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, <laughs> like it, it's unbelievable that that could possibly be the case. But here we are. And I think it's much the same with The Doors. It's like, I don't believe that there's, like, this music that's all about, like, drugs and it's, like, spooky and it's all about fucking and it sounds like a perverted circus and it still sucks ass. I mean, I suppose that's, like, the um, the exception that proves the rule, right? It's like, just because you have great ideas uh, or just... I take that back. Just because you fall ass backwards into something that's like full of interesting ideas doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it well at all. The doors suck mm-hmm. on a level that's um, uh, almost supernatural. Um, I, I, I find it profound how shitty the doors are. I find anybody that likes the doors to be insufferable, which almost, you know, which makes me hate them more. And um, so. There's this book, a novel, speculative fiction novel that presupposes what if Jim Morrison didn't die, <laughs> but instead faked his death and started a island utopia based on the tenets of the doors and specifically his lyrics and poetry. And I use the word poetry with the like incredible hulk hand finger quotes mm-hmm. um and do you know who wrote this book ray manzarek of the doors <laughs> <laughs> it, like as if there wasn't like enough ass to go around for them to suck uh <laughs> it, suddenly it's like oh and 
you're just like mythologizing this dipshit that I know you had to fucking hated the shit out of. And, and then, I don't know. I mean, it's just like the the baseball organ, the, the, you know, uh-huh, like the uh-huh. uh, instead of a bass, which is fine. I mean, again, it's like, in theory, that's cool. But it's like, you know what? I don't love the Murder City Devils. And do you know why? I think you could probably <laughs> fucking draw a pretty quick line here. Um, I don't love the Murder City Devils because they remind me of the Doors. Yeah. And the Murder City Devils got some tracks. Pretty cool sounding band. Mm-hmm. But they sound too much like the Doors for my taste. Also, to be banned from Seattle and call yourself the Murder City Devils is like, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> People get murdered in every city. I don't know if you get to call Seattle Murder City. Like, there's still like a. St. Louis and a Detroit and a Chicago. Like, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even be comfortable calling my band the Murder City Devils. And I'm from Chicago because I'm not from the side of Chicago where people get murdered. You know. Yeah, also, it, if you were, that would be even worse. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Okay. You make a good point. You make a good point. I'm not a Murder City Devils is like what like Bone Thugs and Harmony should have been called. You know, no, like, Bone Thugs and Harmony should have been called Bone Thugs and Harmony. Well, that name is so good. Again, you're correct. Um, <laughs> What's going on here today? But my, but you, you get you get my point. Like mm-hmm. a band that like treads in like sort of like the CD underbelly, a band, a group that treads in like the CD underbelly of um, like the city they live in, mm-hmm. and like talks about things like murder a lot. Murder City Devils, fine. <laughs> Some cosplay, cosplaying Doors fans from Seattle calling themselves Murder City Devils. Not sure it's the same. No disrespect to that band. Obviously, uh, they're a cool band, you know. Um, but too much like the Doors for my taste. Um, speaking of that, did I... Fuck, I think I might mention this. Did I mention on this show when, uh, I think I did, when a good friend of ours asked my son what his favorite band was? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to tell that story <laughs> again, but it's bizarre. Still World thinking about it. Yeah, the, the, the people are strange when you're a stranger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we're going to talk about Broken Van. Um, but what I kind of wanted to, uh, take a second diversion, uh, before we get there, because my goodness, Brandon Kelly, I set up, first of all, let me, let me say, uh, my wife had a friend over last night. You know what I did? I went to a different floor and sat on a couch while her and her friend hung out. I didn't have to go and hang out in the bedroom because that's the only other room in the house. I didn't have to leave the apartment. I went to a different living room and was hanging out. And I had my stereo set up. I just got it set up. and you know, I put on Skeleton Coast, listened to it for the first time in probably a month. Holy shit. That record sounds so good. And I have to say, it's only gotten better since I listened to it last. Oh man, well that's really nice to hear. Yeah, um the 
you know, obviously we kind of did a lot of, we pulled out a lot of stops when we did the recording, you know, like by, Mm -hmm. um, by necessity really. Um, and you know, like we went to this studio that was like super world-class brought Matt Allison down there to like kind of work out of his element, which is probably, I mean, could either go tits up or like create like a situation in which he's, um, you know, thrives in not adversity, but the unknown. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, they had just like these fucking awesome, like old instruments for us to use and like these awesome old consoles for us to play into. And yeah, it turned out really great. And it, in this, I mean, it was still on pro tools. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. it was still done digitally, but I think that there is like a sort of like old quality to it. I don't want to say analog at all because there's nothing analog about it, but it does capture that like sort of like old, the way that instruments used to be captured sort of vibe in a way that I don't think a lot of like our other records do. And I don't think records really do today. Mm-hmm. I think there's a new sensibility and this like sort of harkens back to an old sensibility a little bit. And I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it reminds me of like listening back to like you know old Rolling Stones records or or Beach Boys records where there's something about those studio spaces too. It's the instrumentation but there's also a feel that you get in the rooms that these that these records are made in and yeah, this is this record it's like I'd say I'd call it your most like hi-fi affair, but it's also, yeah, it, it does sound more than anything like a record that was made in a studio as opposed to just like, I think the, the directness that we're used to these days. Sure. And, you know, it's funny because like you talk about the spaces and it's like when we were out there at Sonic Ranch, Matt Allison had like a little house. It was like sort of like the mastering studio uh, next to our studio hacienda or whatever, and they ran like a a hundred and fifty foot cable, and that's where my bass was was in there, like right by his bed, mm. um, my bass amp. Wow! So, which is hilarious because, like, in theory, I could have gone in there at night because we had the keys uh-huh. and just like fucking turned it on and just right by his head. Well, I guess I would have had to turn on the amp itself, but um, it's still funny to think about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was, it's like nothing I've ever done before. Probably like nothing I'll ever do again. Um, But it was really a wonderful experience and I can't say enough good things about all the cool people down there and, just the fucking vibe, man, was so awesome. You know, like the place we stayed, like our little house, used to be a fucking border detention center. They've moved the border since like two miles south. Mm-hmm. But we could still see the border. But like on every single room was like a prison door. Wow. It was the vibe was just so cool down there. And I like mm-hmm. I mentioned this before, like during like the Skeleton Coast um episodes of the show the uh 
like when the sun would go down, that's fucking it, man. You can't see a goddamn thing. Like, yeah. they had like buckets of flashlights outside every door because it's like, unless the moon is big, <laughs> your eyes are shit out of luck till morning, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like... for sure. I also had like, I think, um, you know, coming back to it with a perspective of, you know, having talked through all these records, absorbed them, and especially because Oh Calcutta felt like it did so much, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like we, we pulled everything in for that one in just discussing that record itself. Um, but man, it's hard to think of a record that starts off with a run like this one does i mean you get it like into fucking the demon it's like there's not there's nothing like below like a four and a half out of five. Oh man that's i i love hearing that yeah i think that i think that there was a lot of um in in the writing of the songs like i think chris and i both like really tried to be like this has got to be this has got to be the best song on the record okay well this has got to be the best song on the record mm-hmm. this has got to be the best song on the record you know and mm-hmm. and then like once that becomes the kind of thing where we're putting it all together and then like chris comes in like on the demon and like shreds that guitar solo he's like i got you here you know yeah. <laughs> you know or like <laughs> you know like some of like the fucking backing vocals or bass lines I do that like you know like sort of elevate his songs and like it's just like uh it was great to just be like yep every single one of these could yeah could be the guy you know totally it's like you think of like the traditional you know tracks three track three or track four um as like that's your spot for your first single any one of these can go on in that spot it's like it's like tracks three through seven could all just be shuffled around i think that that's a testament to it and the fact that pta was the actual first single on the record which is the second song yeah 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 no it's um yeah well thanks man that's awesome Uh, like uh i'm really proud of it i haven't thought about that record in a second i've been just like you know this fucking quarantine universe fucking makes everything fucking fly by you know like right now i'm busy parsing the where i stand with this guy's fucking from the new yorker pulling his dick out on the zoom call great i feel great about that uh haha and borat like sort of kind of entrapping rudy giuliani i hate rudy giuliani i love the first Borat movie. Mm-hmm. But a Better dude, than medium cool. You heard it here last week. That's true. But a dude being filmed in a hotel room by hidden cameras when he thinks he's alone, even if he is being a lecherous creep, the woman in the room was still 25, and it was only Borat coming in and saying she's 15 that's making everybody be like, oh, he's a pedophile. Uh-huh. She's a 25-year-old woman, and that's like... It's a fucked up thing to do to a person. And like... Fuck Rudy Giuliani, to be perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
seems like a dirty move to me. I don't know. I mean, a little bit of like an entrapment. Well, yeah, man. Like, uh, I thought Rudy Giuliani, I don't know. I don't want to get into the business of defining Rudy Giuliani at all for uh-huh. anything. Uh huh. And I don't really want to fucking diss Sasha Baron Cohen, but that's not cool. Like, to film somebody when they think they're alone already is like, not cool mm. right mm-hmm. to have a 25 year old woman that's attractive enough to be a movie star hit on like a 75 year old man um probably that 75 year old man's going to respond to that and then to be, walk in and be like she's 15 it's like but she's not you know, I mean, I know it's funny for the bit and everything. Right. But for everybody now that's, like, got this, like, gleeful, like, ah, oh, we busted Giuliani being a pedophile. It's like, I don't think that's the case. And, like, we can talk about Rudy Giuliani being a fucking monster for any number of completely legitimate reasons. You mm-hmm. know? It mm-hmm. just, like, weakens the whole fucking movement to, like, just, like, gleefully be like we outsmarted him and made him look like a pedophile when that's not actually what happened and it was done through tactics that are trumpian frankly like Mm -hmm. um hidden surveillance and like this sort of like retcon gaslighting situation where it's like oh she's 15 actually uh it's fucked up it's fucked up man that's why I stick to to catch a predator reruns. <laughs> I know what I'm signing up for. Dr. Chris Hansen, he's coming in there. That's kind of fucked up too, but you know what? He looks good in that turtleneck. He looks good in that mock neck. That show's fucking hilarious to me too, because it's like Who takes the I'll pretend to be an 11-year-old boy sexting the man job. Uh, You can't be normal and do that. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, my little wiener, LOL. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know. Um, Like, nope. Nope, not for me. Uh, (laughs) Not exactly the type of, uh, not exactly the type of thing that you could really just like, punch in and punch out of it's hard to i'd say leave your work at home with you yeah 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 i mean it's kind of it's just fucking disturbing i don't know um speaking of your work coming home with you because that's actually (laughs) something related to broken van by the broadways because it's something that i wrote down kind of early on in taking my notes for this episode but also sort of realized that this kind of applies to the general everything of this band is um it sounds like being in this band was a bummer not just because of all the reasons that we've talked about but just like reading the lyrics it's like when you're in this kind of writing mode you kind of are looking for this shit always aren't you oh that's really astute and i've never really considered it that way but yeah for sure it's like um my friend luke o'neill does this newsletter called hell world 
mm-hmm. welcome, welcome to Hell World. And he's also got a book out, and it's really great. He's just a very talented writer from Boston. Um, and he's like a very online Twitter guy. And he is the dude that wrote the article in the, I believe it was the Boston Globe, where he's like, yeah, you should be allowed to fucking piss in the food of, um, you know, Trump cabinet members if they come into your restaurant. Fuck them. They don't care about you, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that, like, created a huge stir. But uh, he writes this thing called Hell World, where it's mostly about how, like, people being denied health care, people being brutalized by the police and everything. And it's... I think it's afforded him quite a bit of, like, financial freedom and independence, like, because mm-hmm. it's, it's really well done. But, like, what's the fucking cost is, like, that's got to be his life now is, like, finding the most deranged, depressing examples of this, like, crumbling uh, former empire that uh, he can find and really immerse himself in it because he's, like... Uh, investigative research journalist you know Mm -hmm. so it's like it's not enough to just be like yeah people don't have health care it's like you know this is mandy Uh mandy works at wendy's she has six kids uh you know and Mm. fucking her boyfriend asphyxiated her by strangling her and then kicked her child through the fucking drywall Mm. and uh it cost her $900,000 $900,000 uh, just to like get out of the hospital, you know? And like, I was like, fuck. Yeah. No wonder you're fucking pissed all the time, man. <laughs> it sucks. And I think that with the Broadways, maybe that is the same thing. I, I, I never really considered it, but yeah, I mean, with vigilant righteousness, I think comes, naturally depression or maybe it goes the other way um mm-hmm. you know and i'm not totally positive which one it is but uh yeah you know it's again it's the whole matrix metaphor which is once you get out of the matrix man you're like this fucking sucks and like as long as you're in the matrix you're like ah, i'm just eating steak everything's fine you know so, Kids, The Matrix was a movie that came out about fucking, tw- Jesus, like 20 years ago, 23 years ago, and um, it's really good. You should watch it. First one isn't that great, but stick around for the sequels. Mm. You know, it's cruel of you to say that. <laughs> um, all right. So... Before before we before we dive in here, we got some questions that we uh, received over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. Patreon now, you guys, if you're not aware, Patreon is this way for you to help support creators. And me, Brandon here. Yeah. We just we've created a universe just with this podcast um, and all of the work that I did before this podcast started, obviously. And so we, we uh, got this Patreon over uh, on the, on the internet. It's patreon.com slash better sandwich. And you can sign up over there 
and you can listen to me and Brendan wax poetic with some of uh, America and the world's great musicians and just straight up homies. I mean, we talked to Sam Russo. We talked to Matt Allison, who of course was down there producing Skeleton Coast with you, produced all of the material we're talking about today. Yep, true. Who else? We got Tom May, Greg Barnett. We have two Menzingers. Two Menzingers. We got um, Toby Dreg. Um, we got Dave Hawes, Brian Fallon. Um, we got um, Daniel Andriano. Daniel Andriano. Um, Chris Number Two. Great one. He's he's amazing. And uh, last week we talked a little bit about the Fireside Bowl. This week we've got some extra content that's just going to come out naturally within this podcast. So if any time you're feeling like you're hearing a non sequitur, it's probably because Brendan just told the greatest story ever recorded in human history. Goddamn right. And that's over there at Patreon. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. It's seven bucks a month. You can just hang out. And then we got some questions from the hoagies and heroes over at the sandwich club. Um, First question for you, Brennan. Can you all go over the lyrics to Ben Moves to California, specifically the BK part at the end? I know this is Broken Star material, but it's been digging at my curious parts for years. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, there's totally lyrics at the end that we didn't put in the booklet. And I got to say, I'm, if it's been... Fucking, you know, twenty five years, and I haven't told anybody. I'm definitely not about to start now. Uh, it's uh, to me, it's just like a little bit more fun for it to be mysterious. It was not intentional. Um, I wrote that part sort of late, and um, no, I think I left it out of the booklet on purpose, um, and not because the lyrics are bad, but because it just, I don't know, it's. Not really my song, and I think that the, that Dan's part is like the really relevant part. And then I just wanted there to be like this, like sort of typhoon of energy at the end that was sort of the confusing nature of what it's like to sort of like grow older in that like particular time that was uh, established by by Dan's words, and mm-hmm. so. And there's just like a cheeky part of me that's like, yeah, fuck, I'm I'm not telling anybody what's going on there. It's fun. Uh, well, that's great. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. You can ask whatever question you want. No, uh, no telling whether or not Brendan's going to answer it, especially when we devote time to it on our podcast and specifically the portion that's encouraging you to go over to patreon.com slash better sandwich because you can reap all sorts of rewards. by doing Oh, so maybe I should talk about it over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, is what you're saying. No, I'm not. Not necessarily. <laughs> um, uh, this person who, who left this question uh, signed it as shit clops. So, uh, Mr. Clops, those lyrics are uh, transcribed onto Genius. So the secret's out. Um, but how accurate are they? Oh, they're they're 100%. I checked them myself. Well, here, let's see what they say over here. I'm looking it up right now. 
All right. So this says that they are. Uh, um, no, none of this is even remotely accurate. <laughs> Not a single word. Holy fuck. This is amazing <laughs> how inaccurate this is. There's two on here. Mm-hmm. So let me check the other one. Oh, this is the same. Yeah, no. Uh, I could. I don't know much. But here's what I do know. Nope. That's <laughs> not the words. One more from Patreon. Kyle had a question about the Lawrence Arms van. He said some friends and I were talking and the subject of... Your van came up circa 2000, 2001. Did you all give it a Russian dictator style name or are we imagining this? Yeah, that was a very tiny little van. Um, I think that's the only vehicle that I've ever purchased completely in my own name by myself. uh, Mm. As like the next time I purchased a vehicle, I was married, you know, so... It was a joint affair, but uh, the van was brown. It was a five-passenger van. Uh, um, like a minivan? No, it was like if like an Ewok was a van. It was like really sh- just short. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a conversion van. It was like kind of tricked out and... It was named Vladimir Van Buren. Um, and it, we had our friend Chris, not Chris McCoggin, uh, Chris, the guy that did the uh, the Flappy logo, mm-hmm. paint flames on it. And it was a brown conversion van, so he painted brown flames on it. And <laughs> then we put silver um, decals on the front. They were like spangly like truck driver silver, you know, like when you put on the side of your mm-hmm. cab or whatever. And, uh, and it said Vladimir across the front. So yeah. Vladimir. Van uh, Buren. Beautiful. It's, um, nothing that, that kind of van sounds like it's just begging to be pulled over. Um, you would think, um, Vladimir is featured, pretty prominently in the um evening of extraordinary circumstance video mm. um and in the very first promo photo we ever took that's like so blurry and mike and me at asian man were like this picture's terrible i'm like we love it she's like it's three very blurry men in front of a van we're like yeah perfect but i mean she didn't even mention how big our pants were. You helping all the boy. I'm a Catholic. Oh man! <laughs> Mercy goodness! Hello. I almost want to pay for the Patreon myself to hear a story oh, like that. I mean, could? <laughs> My goodness! Uh, yes. Beautiful. <laughs> it was wonderful. All uh, right. Well, let's. I don't. I don't think that we're ever gonna let that one see the light of day. But mm. a broken van by the Broadways. 
last week we we tapped into it let's pick up where we left off one man board of directors brennan let's start with who is this song about you talk about a friend in this song yeah um okay so first of all This is sort of a regrettable song to me on a lot of levels. Um, Number one, uh, it's not really my story to tell. Number two, it's just not that good of a song. Um, I think those are probably the the big levels. But Mm -hmm. um, so I had a buddy who grew up in uh, Cabrini Green, which was the first housing project experiment in America. Uh, The original Mayor Daley Created high-rise, low-income housing, very centralized, um, and um, the results were, I think, a little bit disastrous, um, Mm -hmm. as they kind of were going to be by design, because uh, it was like just like caging people in in a zone, and the the buildings weren't particularly nice. Mm -hmm. But um, so this buddy of mine, he. he had like eight or nine brothers and sisters, and one of them was murdered um, in sort of like the shrapnel of a little bit of a gang scuffle, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she was young, and the family was obviously very distraught. And um, then, like, the sort of like the sentinels of the gang would like stand in the lobby of their building and whenever they'd walk in you know coming home from school especially like his little sisters and brothers and they'd be like hey tell your mommy that we're gonna kill you if she tries to press any charges uh against us for you know the accidental death of your sibling Mm -hmm. right which is fucking heavy to tell a little kid, like, tell your mom we're going to kill you is, like, mm-hmm. not we're going to kill the mom. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to kill you, the child that we're talking to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and it, he and I went to school together, like, grade school and high school, well, high school together. And um, then we ended up at the same college and we were hanging out one day and he was telling me this fucking story and he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, he's like, we're fucked. I think we're just going to get fucked picked off no matter what happens. Sure. And, uh, it was after that conversation that I called all the slapstick dudes and we did those slapstick reunion shows. And, um, a hundred percent of the proceeds from that went to that family and they were able to move out of that housing project and, like, you know, kind of, like, have a bit of, like, a jump start on a better situation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, that was very positive And, like, I kind of kept that all a little bit close to the chest, like, pretty vague, you know, like, mm-hmm. friend in trouble, bad neighborhood you know, whatever. And, uh, some more of the details kind of got out and I, you know, I don't, I don't know how comfortable I felt about 
the publicity surrounding that, like, especially because it's like, I didn't want to be some sort of like white savior or anything like that, but it's just like, I had a platform where I could make a grip of money and mm-hmm. I knew that I had a bunch of like conscientious friends who would join me and be like, oh yeah, we'll play some fucking ska songs and then this family doesn't get fucking executed. Yeah, yeah. that sounds fine. So the details you know? like came out before the show had happened in between announcing and the show actually happening. a little bit yeah and mm-hmm. and um oh it's the santa maria that was the name of the van ah um that was very nice yeah and um but so then writing this song i wrote this song around the same time because slapstick was broken up and it was like the reunion was when the Broadway's already existed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I wrote this song based on sort of like what was going on in my periphery. But I think it's a little like, again, not my story to tell. And, and it's just the song itself isn't that great. I do like the, uh, the bass line in the middle. Um, yeah. I know this one seems like a little heavy handed to me. It's like all the worst impulses of the Broadways um, surmised, in my opinion. Um, sort of like we talked about last week with Chris's song, Second Grade Cells. I think these songs are like brother and sister on this record as being like, okay, too far. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think the heart of the song is in the right place, but it's also like, if this wasn't on the record, it would probably be a better record, you know? Yeah. Um, when do you think you, when do you think you had your moment of realization on, you know, that story not being yours to tell or you telling it the way that you did was not exactly. Well, I think like once the band kind of dissolved and then this came out, and I listened to it. I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't cool. You know, like, and I don't know. It's, it's like, I don't think it's uncool. Like it, it, it's not a, it's not malicious and it's not like for the intent of like big upping, like me doing anything in any sort of way, but it is like, uh, it seems a little like Povichian, you know, to me. Uh-huh. And and I don't I don't need that. You know? So it's like I think I heard all this shit like with the fresh eyes of someone that was no longer in the Broadways and was like, oh, okay, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I think Yeah, it's um are you are you good to yourself with things like that? Because sometimes, like, I think your heart being in the right place is a, for me, it's a, it's an easy way to get down or to actually, like, be nice to myself, just depending on the day that I'm, you know, stuck thinking about it. Well, I think, for me, with with all this stuff, you know, I don't think I'm... As kind of myself in terms of like just like day to day communication or whatever, but like 
when it comes to like art, uh, for lack of a better word, um, you got to kind of try everything. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it's like, you know, you do it in a, if you're fortunate enough to have no choice, but to do it in a public forum, really, uh, which is like sort of where things live or die and where you kind of like can finally hear them through somebody else's ears, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not just like this myopic exercise and like sucking your own dick or whatever. Uh, and you got to like actually like be like, okay, so now this person's heard it. Now I listen to it and I can hear it from sort of a third party perspective, which is kind of what happens. Um, they're not all going to be hits. You know what I mean? And you, you just have to learn from that and move on. And like, I, um, it's one of the things I try to do more than anything is like, like relentlessly study everything I've done and see what I think is good, what I think is bad and try Mm -hmm. to optimize it, you know? And that's like, um, you know, to go back to the beginning of this, that's like where Skeleton Coast comes from. Totally. It's like my optimization of what I think I can do well and where I think my strengths are and what I what I think works and the jettisoning of things that I think don't work. And it started, frankly, like in Glad Hand, through Slapstick and the Broadways and, uh-huh. you know, into... The Lawrence Arms and then the Falcon, the Wandering Birds. It's like, it's all like a, it's all a learning process, man. Um, And I mean, I don't want to sound self-important or anything like that, but it's just like, yeah, when I fuck up, I want to take notice of it and be like, okay, note to self, do not do that anymore. And then like, uh, when I do something that I think rules, I'll be like, okay, that, that's, Mm -hmm kind of where you shine you know and uh so kick it with that a little bit more so um yeah but i mean that's just the process i so i don't know if i guess to answer your question kindness is not even like really a um, a facet of how i relate to this it's more like well that was a learning experience um Mm -hmm. you know Probably don't do that anymore. Who's is is someone uh, someone playing piano upstairs? That is my daughter. She's playing piano. It is her piano lesson time. That's so great. There will be no way for you to edit your no. This is wonderful zone. Um. (laughs) This is wonderful Um, and amazing that she powered through this headache and this tight ponytail. To yeah, work well, on those scales. Yesterday. She's, she's <laughs> chilling now. She's waiting for the results of her COVID test. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's funny. When I was like getting ready to talk about this song, this was this was the one where I was like, I want to ask Brendan how he feels about this song first before we get into any sort of like parsing out on what we like and what we don't like because... If I if we start with that and then all of a sudden this story, I mean, which it is a f- crazy and tragic it's a, story. It's a crazy tale. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, nobody wants to nobody wants to start off with like, well, why the f- why the fuck is this 4 minutes long? 
But right. that and being said, I like this song a lot, actually. Huh. Well, that's actually really cool to hear because to me it seems a little like saccharin and um, syrupy and like... Mm, like... But I'm so close to the whole thing, you mm-hmm. know, like... I remember talking to my buddy and being like, hey, I did this thing. I got my old band back together and we played these shows. And uh, we would donate all the money to you because we know that like it's an urgent thing. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I was in his dorm room and he was like, uh, he got a full scholarship to Northwestern. I mean, just... Because I'm sure that that's like a point that's like, uh, what? Yeah. Lives in Cabrini totally. Green, went to college with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got like the fullest of rides. That rules. You know? Yeah. Totally. And what a great dude. And, um, and I was like, I was like, so I'm just going to, here's this envelope of money. And he was like, I can't take your money. And I was like, it's not my money. It's your money. I'm mm-hmm. like, everybody kind of knew a little bit. This was for a family in need. I can't take this money. I can't give it back to everybody. If you don't want it, you can donate it to a charity or do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm walking out the door of your room. I'm leaving this envelope on the table. And then he called me like 15 minutes later. He's like... Because, like, he didn't have any fucking idea, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, I was talking about, like, when I'm, like, my band, you, you know, it's, like, it, everybody thinks, like, ooh, thanks for the 500 bucks, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And, like, and he called me and was just, like, oh, I'm in tears, man. Uh, yeah, we're moving today. Uh, thank you oh, so man. much, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry I tried to reject this, dude. You're amazing. You know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But then... <laughs> God, it's so embarrassing. But... <laughs> so, like, at graduation, like, we're the same year, obviously. Because we went to high school and everything together, but... I met his family, and it was, like, so great. Mm-hmm. And then my old ass Italian, just racist grandfather was also oh, there. No. And he's just like, Where's that black boy you help? I'm like, No, no, oh. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I would really rather, no. Thank you, Nonu, but <laughs> I, I, would, I would prefer not to. <laughs> Uh, I giggle because it's just Uh like so uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and then like I look over at a certain point, and this dude's grandfather is talking to my grandfather, and I'm like, oh no, (laughs) I I just don't even want to know what's going on in that conversation. Like, the. 
the very last thing I wanted to do was like be some sort of like super, you know, white man, you know, superhero, uh-huh. like, uh-huh. you know, and like, I, I still don't know what they said. I think both those guys are dead by now, but, uh, I know one of them is for sure. I went to his funeral, <laughs> but, uh, like, I can't imagine he didn't say something that was like, would just be like mortifying to mm-hmm. me. Uh, <laughs> good guy. Like it like makes my skin crawl to think about it now. And, uh, um, well, whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, is. <sighs> Good intentions versus grandpa. You know, that's that's the uh that's the name of the video game here. <laughs> <laughs> um when you talk about this song being saccharine, um I feel like the it, there's like a, a the deeply melodic bass line and kind of the the way that this song intros, it's definitely going for you know, the grand slam emotion. It's going, it's going epic. Yeah. And it, it that's the whole thing it's like uh this was constructed this is before i learned the whole lesson about like a song coming fast this you know and how that's like really important what i'm just taking a picture of the dog don't don't mind me no no you're good but so this was like well this is a very important topic let's make the music sound very important you know and like yeah i mean the whole thing i think is just a little overwrought um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know but if you like the song that's like very different to me it's like uh well maybe it's okay i mean yeah like i it's not okay to me Mm -hmm. but my opinion is irrelevant in this whole thing, you know, especially like, 20 years after the fact when you, you, you know, you're dealing with the, um, uh, the personal weight of all of it. And I, I think that, um, yeah, what stands out to me really is just, it's a really nice baseline. I really like the way it sort of builds up. And it feels like it's going to go into a, a larger thing, but then it stays down, palm muted um, for most of the verses. And then just the guitars on this song. The next one, too. Like, Dan and Chris play off of each other so well. It's not like a constant that's going off in every song, but this one in particular, there's those really nice arpeggios in the verse i think okay chris is a great guitar player Mm -hmm. and a great guitar player in a three-piece and i think that's what he was born to do Mm -hmm. um because like just his like weird sort of like sweeping style of play where he's playing chords but he's also playing leads Mm -hmm. is so unique i mean there's no like he's one of the few guitar players that's like oh that's chris mccock you know like for real and and I think he was born to play in a three-piece band. Dan Hanaway, I think, is born to be in a two-guitar band. He plays great with 
everyone. Mm-hmm. Like when you hear that first Honor System record, it's like, wow, him and Nolan jive so well together. Mm-hmm. You hear the first Honor System EP, it's like, wow, him and Tyler gel so well together. You listen to the Broadways, it's like, wow, him and Chris gel so well together. I think he is just uh, a brilliant co-guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even... Dan couldn't play the solo in The Demon. You know what I mean? Like right. That's yeah. not the way he plays. But the way he plays is very stylized and very specific. And it is super good at playing off someone else. Mm-hmm. Whoever they are. I mean, Tyler, Nolan, and Chris play extraordinarily different styles. And there's never a point where it's like not like, wow, this combo fucking rules. Mm-hmm. So I think Dan is just... He's like a, a Pippin, maybe, even though he's doing most of like the yeah. the lead work, I think, in a lot of the stuff. And maybe it's because he's like Hetfieldian in like leaning over the shoulder of the other guitar player and being like, no, no, you play this specifically and then play this, which mm-hmm. would not surprise me based on like his sort of personality. Um, but I'm I'm not I'm not positive which one it is, but regardless, it's his fucking that's his shit, man. And he's good as hell at it. I watched some kind of monster recently and now just thinking about it, it wasn't recent enough. That's going on in the background tonight. I tell you what. Great movie. Just one, one of the weirdest movies that's ever been made. Um, natural disaster. It sounds like. And correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, it might just be the way that Chris sings, but it sounds like there are some inflections that feel like they make their way to Martha Plimpton. I don't know about that specifically, but I do know that Chris has said. Uh, not really like in a like public facing setting, but to me, that this is the first Chris McCaw and Lawrence Arm song. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it really is. This is a great song. Um, it's it's romance and embarrassment and like pushing through it regardless Uh you you know what i mean like just like you know i'm making a dick of myself but okay (laughs) um also this yeah is that any any more better uh you you know and and like and it but it doesn't have like a creep vibe to it it's just it is the like sweaty story it's the it's like the uh romantic in the corners version of pretty pathetic a little bit but mm-hmm. without the hyper self-awareness because the meaning of the word cool yeah i mean <laughs> yeah like well 
you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. What you I mean, had though. to go on embarrassing myself. Is like you are really aware of what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like I was convinced I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's more of like a sort of just like really romantic flailing. And uh, I think the song is great. Um, I think, man, I might be making this up, but I think there was at least a brief discussion of the Lawrence Arms actually doing this song on Ghost Stories. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think that that if I'm not making it up, I think that conversation was very brief. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it was like, nah, it's already alive out there. Fuck that. We don't want to be like, we're not just redoing the old songs or whatever but what kind of what kind of guitar was chris playing in the broadways uh i believe he was playing a paul reed smith uh what paul reed smith it's like like a musclier version of like a stratocaster kind of Uh um and then he had this like fucking muscly ass telecaster thing Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know Paul Reed Smith. But the, I think it was called the Telestrat or something like that. That one, but the in the Broadways he was playing the Paul Reed, the Black Paul Reed Smith, mm-hmm. and it had like a vague Yamaha kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. but like the coolest Yamaha that you could buy. Like it didn't look like a dork guitar. Mm-hmm. But, like, you could see that its parents were dork guitars. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, Like, it's like when you see, like, uh, a person that you're like, oh, that person is very attractive, but I could totally see if their parents were both trolls. Uh, <laughs> it, it sort of had that sort of thing going on. Yeah, not like, not like the first guitar you get, but the guitar that you get when you're 16. And you've been yeah, playing um, for a little bit uh, with that, like, combo starter pack. Maybe even more like the guitar you get when you're in the Broadways <laughs> and you don't want something that anyone else has. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, it sounded good. It played well. And it didn't look stupid. But it was... I mean, no, he he fucking hung his hat on that Paul Reed Smith. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't talk any shit about it. And his guitar sounded great. So, but it was an odd guitar, uh, just in terms of you know what I would compare it to is like this is going to alienate anybody that's like under forty five in the audience. Um, <laughs> Those like all black Reeboks with the Velcro at the top, like the the high tops. Yeah, it was like that of guitars. Uh, Damn, like, dude, way to kill our listenership. Well, why did you think that was going to alienate anyone under forty five? Well, I mean, they had to stop making those fucking goofy ass shoes, didn't they? Oh, you're I I get what you're saying. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, like. So anyway, but uh, yeah, cool guitar. I like any guitar that's like a little bit 
off the beaten path or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say that as someone that plays exclusively Fender basses and Gibson guitars, but uh, what is it? <laughs> oh my god, you've got to be kidding me! Mm-hmm. Truth, girl. Oh, oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! Well, that is something that I never thought that I would hear about that band. Mm-hmm. That's a whole label, man. You know, not, not just one band. Under My Belt is a Broadway Great song. song. Very good Great. song. Great song. By Daniel Hannaway. Yeah. Um, What I really put into terms um, in, like, listening to the song and looking at the lyrics was you and Dan do a pretty similar thing, especially around this time where you kind of um, all your lyrics have this like kind of novelistic, like first person kind of like almost like film noir, like pulp feel where it's like the observation, but it's also like something else that like steals your attention away or just like the way that you kind of, internalize it but it just feels like there's that layer of just like you know sort of the the like dark walk in the streets and you're seeing all sorts of shit and it's all kind of like yeah par for the course in this town yeah man um this one is fucking cool it's a classic example of Hanaway's like you know as you talked about Maybe during Broken Star, or maybe it was just last week, the way he takes like a very personal thing and blows it out to be something that you can understand as a bigger idea, mm-hmm. you know. And and um, he does it really well in this song. Um, there is a um. I'm sorry, I'm just like singing the lyrics to myself. It's more eyes. I mean, there there's so much catchy shit in this. I mean, for this to not have a chorus is like a like a crime. Right. You know? Um because it, it's like he every every line could be the chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like this is like almost like an experiment and like I'll make the poppiest song you've ever fucking heard, but I will make it not poppy at all. Um which I mean obviously you know I back that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But then there's that like crazy weird breakdown. Dude. The- at the end? You're talking like the last twenty seconds? No, I'm talking about like what goes on before that. Just oh, like, okay. You know, and it's just like that crazy slow build. And then the end part um, is awesome. Mm-hmm. When we did the Broadway's reunion, Chris and Dan were both like, no, these are the chords. And I'm like, I've never played this song right ever, even in the studio. Because <laughs> I had a completely different idea of what the chords were. Yeah. Which is 
uh, you know, it's a real like caught with your pants down kind of moment. But I was like, what the fuck? Really? Because I thought it was weird the way it was played. And they're like, yeah, that's not how it's played. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. Strip all that berries, concrete, talk all mm-hmm. that berries, me, yeah, while my heart's still beating. All these big games with the names. Don't mean anything. And then that. It was that. It was like that. I don't even know how it really goes now because I can only play the thing that I've always played. And that's apparently not what it is. That's so funny. But yeah, this song's good. This song is the little brother to. Um, fuck you, Larry Cochet. I hope you starve and die someday. Mm-hmm. Same vibe. Um, even though that one's got like more of like an emo bent, mm-hmm. it's like got that same just like, just like bringing you all in here after like a weird intro, and then like it's super major, and then the outro is like a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. After an instrumental thing. Yeah. It's a cool vocal delivery from Dan, too. Because he's not like... It sounds as uh, as non-Dan as anything he's done with this band. Yeah, as he would get up to this point, for sure. It, it is like his like sort of like pop-punk croon song, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, And there's also some lyrics in here that I think are like... Kind of hilarious, like that more, more like a cigarette. Yeah, more like a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And it's like Alkali Trio record, like rubbing off on you a little bit there because that is like, <laughs> what the fuck? I, like, I, I it, it took me like, uh, I think probably till after this record came out before I even like realized what that lyric was, and I was like. That's shockingly uncharacteristic for Dan. I, I mean, it's fine. It's not a, like a bad lyric, but it's just like kind of left field, you know? Totally. Um, Yeah, man, that breakdown into the palm unit part, fucking, if I'm, if I'm taking, if I'm taking a minute and a half of Broadway's material, that's going in there, man. I fucking love that shit. Better than the breakdown and we'll have a party. Sorry. That It's the palm mutes, man. It's the palm mutes that get me. That like lifetime kid dynamite shit. Yeah, I, well, I mean we can agree to disagree, but for me the ultimate instrumental part in any song is that we'll have a party. That's like the Broadway's very exceptional part instrumentally to me but this one is great and uh i can't help but think that if dan had kind of done some of these songs just on his own without chris and i like contributing some bullshit that some of these would be a lot more beloved than they are now I don't know. Not that I mean. Natural Disasters is a great song, 
but I feel like we're just like muddying the the track. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like he's off to a whole new thing by this point. Mm-hmm. It's like not necessarily the news. This song fucking like it, it, it's he's crushing. Mm-hmm. You know, on like a level that's going to manifest itself in uh single file by the honor system. Mm-hmm. Right? And where you see that like united front wall of just his songs and it's like, "Ooh, yes, very much so. This is cool." Yeah, this band is it's such an interesting document because I think that there's I think that's a very very uh salient point is the fact that this band is just a little bit not all together on everything. Anything. <laughs> no, about <laughs> anything. But it's also it's also interesting too because I think that there are moments like these last few songs where you see the influences of other things that are happening around this time. Not 2000, but like, you know, late 90s. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, having an influence on on y'all in in ways that don't really show up by Lawrence Arms and the Honor System because I think your identities are so well formed in those bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, there was definitely a lot of like. I think at this point there was a lot of like grabbing it scraps and like figuring out what we could do and like you know after broken star came out and it wasn't like the fucking michael jackson thriller we expected it to be mm-hmm. uh i think there was a lot of like uh, to use a hollywood parlance hasty rewrites um on the set you sure. know like yeah. and like so the you know for some of us it was like desperately cheesy overwrought songs and for some of us it was fucking really honing into something that would go on to be their next thing Mm -hmm. you know and and then there was a lot of experimentation in between and um i don't know you know it's like we talked about this last week but i mean this band is i think the reason that all three of us can write good songs to this day Mm -hmm. i mean the 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 real thing is that I think that this, well, the honor system was where Dan really shone. Uh, and I guess I just, but he was already shining here, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that there's a certain point where you've got to be like, yo, I've written like, 30 of the best punk rock songs any of you motherfuckers have ever heard. And <laughs> it, it, no, nothing? Okay. You know, get fucked. I'll start a restaurant. You know, like, uh, that. that's, like, sort of, <laughs> like, I can understand Dan's perspective on that. Yeah. But, like, for me, I needed this experience. I needed, like, the humbling, and I needed the perspective to be able to transform into whatever the fuck it is that I do now. 
you know. You ever talk to Dan about that? Like, are those what you just mm. said? Is that your uh, your words or his? He doesn't seem like the type that like spends too much time uh, listening on emotions. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that's accurate what I said that you didn't say. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Um, I don't, I've, you know, I've gone as far as to tell Dan like, "You've got the only good songs the Broadways," and he's like, "Shut up." And I'm like, "Single File is my favorite release on Asian Man. It is the only record from that era that I still listen to regularly," which is true. Oh shit. Well, what would you hear? Just that? <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't want to talk about that shit. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't want anybody blowing smoke up my ass either for no reason. You know, I get it. All right, cool. Well, good to know. Uh, it was Poncho Villa. This is the other song that I like that I did in the Broadway. Oh, for actually. real? Yeah, I like this one. Interesting. Why you, you don't like this one? This song, I heard this song and immediately put on Skeleton Coast because I felt like I felt like this song. Um, most things in this song, I feel like you would approach in the exact opposite way, especially vocally. Hmm. This one, it's like you're kind of coming up from underneath. Your voice is obviously lower, but I feel like it's. Um, I don't know if this visual makes sense but if if the line is if the line is here it's like the vocal is coming up into it whereas um you know you take a song like belly of the whale and it's like well you know what i mean yeah. it's like straight and I, know, down. I know what you mean mm-hmm. like well this this was supposed to be sort of like a song a somber affair right and it's really kind of a lot about that which interestingly when i wrote got no um evening of extraordinary circumstance i tried to reutilize that exact same um octave riff in the beginning but fast but for whatever reason i didn't transpose it right and chris played it differently anyway and i didn't tell him i was wasn't gonna be like yeah no i'm just doing the garage sale of the broadways Mm -hmm. like we'll just like you know (laughs) but no i I do like this one it's like that's like the big part and then the reincarnation's killing me which I thought was really clever at the time. And now it's like a little glib in like 90s. But uh-huh. at the time, people seemed to think it was interesting, you know, like including myself. Um, I just like this one because not that I would put it on, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. But this was the first point in the Broadways where I pushed myself out of trying to do something like hyper political or like trying to compete with anybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, what's my thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so say what you will about this song. It's not particularly interesting. It doesn't have 
a chorus, but the uh, the line where it's like, "Hey, would it be all right if I used your house to get too drunk tonight?" Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. was like that was the germinating seed of what the Lawrence Arms would become, you know? Yeah, and so. It's not that I like this song sonically, although I don't hate it. I think it's like pretty inoffensive, mm-hmm. but it's I like what it represents to me. Yeah, which was like the first like, ooh, like stretch of freedom and being like, you know what, I'm just gonna do what I can do. Mm-hmm. Totally, I think. Um... I think to, to me it's a tough it's a tough placement on this because you go from I mean every song that we've talked about here today has has no chorus and this is following a a really great Chris song with no chorus following a really great Dan song with no chorus and then there's this one and a little bit of fatigue so it's hard to like it's hard to take the song in in any other way other than just you know in uh in comparison to what just came before oh for sure and like look i'm not uh, i like these conversations so i'm not having i'm not i'm not attempting to sell this to anybody mm-hmm. like uh it it's like I said, at the time, it was really freeing for me. And no, it, it, I've said it a million times. Like, I was like the weak link in the Broadway's songwriting, um, you know, pastiche or whatever. But this was like, it's like when you're a woman that like lives with a guy that punches you in the face and not like in a fun, consensual way. And you go to the roller rink one day and you make out with like the 19 year old guy that like sprays the shoes and you're like, holy fuck, I feel so alive. I know what I'm going to do now. And it's not like that guy is the hottest, best guy. It's he smells really it, good. It, it was the, <laughs> yeah, it was it. It was the catalyst for your next chapter, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you couldn't have started it with a like just couple degrees less intense of a of a scenario. This woman, she couldn't have just been <laughs> nah, with some guy who like uh, keeps borrowing her car and not filling the gas tank up. No, nah, no, nah, she has to really get free. Okay, uh, but. But, you know, what's interesting is um, Pancho Villa's last words actually were, don't let it end like this. Tell him I said something. Mm -hmm. And then he died, which has got to be the best last words Mm -hmm. of all time, right? Uh, (laughs) See, I thought that was actually a reference to, uh, I guess the timelines here are off, but... um, uh, Kevin Bacon says something similar to that in the movie Hollow Man, 
which mm. you haven't seen lately. Never, never, Real. never seen Hollow Man. Real um, piece of shit. Tend to avoid Kevin Bacon. He kind of creeps me out a little bit. Um, you ever see him and John Bon Jovi in the same room? Um, yeah, all the time. Yeah, I have them down here at my bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time for sure. Bake, bake Jovi, we call it. <laughs> Beaks, Beaks, bake Jovi. <laughs> John von Bacon. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I liked the cleverness of marbling that into a song, and then uh, a couple of like the more cool twists of phrase that. I did. I did in this, and more than anything, it was like really freeing. Mm-hmm. So, I think you get to a point with your work where it's just like, wait a minute, hold up, what did he say? And this one, it's like the um, the vocals are just are just lagging. It's it's more like I'm looking at the lyrics. And I'm like, oh, these lyrics are good. No, I mean, well, look, I'm not. Try- I'm not. <laughs> You don't have to like this song. It's a Broadway song by me, uh, so it's bad. Um, until we get to like the first few, that like I, I didn't do much that was good, but this was very instructive for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, totally. I mean, as you can see, like the probably the next song I wrote, the next punk song I wrote after this was "Evening of Extraordinary Circumstance." So it's like you could see that sort of transformation, and this was the. Rosetta Stone. This was the fish that came out of the sea. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's just got a special place in my heart. Um, I think it sounds a little too much like if face-to-face tried to do Jawbreaker, if I'm like analyzing it as like a actual song, uh-huh. but lyrically it's way better than that. Um, mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. like in terms of pure sonics, like if it was like face-to-face, do a jawbreaker song, they'd be like, <laughs> you know, and like, so I'm under no illusions about like what the actual sonic quality of it is, but yeah, but again, it was this was my swim lessons in sweeping, sleeping with the enemy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this got me out of there. Face to face actually did do. Jawbreaker song on a, a covers record that they did in 2001. They were already out of ideas in 2001. What did they do? Want or Boxcar? They did Chesterfield King. Ugh. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just looked at a pile of dog shit on my floor. That wasn't an actual response to face to face doing Chesterfield King. Um, wow, <laughs> that must be interesting. Uh, <laughs> I have to clean up this total dog shit that's been sitting here since, I don't know, probably the mid-90s after we get done with this podcast. (laughs) I had that record. It was was gifted to me. uh, And I was like, oh, cool. I'm never going to listen to this again, but I'm going to check out eight of the ten bands that are on here, apparently. Jawbreaker was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, they also they also cover Heaven by the Psychedelic Furs, which is like the, the Louie Louie of uh 
of covers for the 2000s punk bands. Um, there are a couple of lines in here that I find like really interesting. Is bathrobe in the mail from a long time ago's lost friend? Yeah, so uh, that is weird. Um, I kind of forgot about that sort of like marbling. And so my uncle was like, uh, I think I've talked about this before. He was uh, super gay, um, Manhattanite, and died in like the first wave of AIDS. Mm. Um, And I like very literally watched him die. And it was before they were, like, saying the word AIDS on TV and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, people were talking about, like, a gay cancer and all this kind of stuff. And it, I mean, it had a profound impact on me politically in terms of, like, this was the thing that Mm -hmm. galvanized me to, like, when people would call slapstick fags, I'd be like, yep. I'm total fag. I'll come down there and I'll fucking suck all your dicks. You guys can fuck me in the ass. What 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 time? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Mm-hmm. You guys you guys want to fuck with this? You know. And it, for the '90s in the ska scene, that was like highly progressive. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know. Totally. And um, but so, but my uncle was, you know, um, he was like this, like sort of like. Jet setting Manhattanite, uh, and one of the dudes in his like crew, mm-hmm. uh, right before I wrote this song, sent me a package and it was like, Hey, this was your Uncle Pete's uh, favorite robe. We can't think of anybody else that would, he would rather have it than you. And it's like this, like fucking silk kimono. <laughs> it's fucking oh, hilarious. Man. I mean, it's it, it it is if not as gay as Christmas, it's as gay as Christmas Eve. <laughs> um, but it is like like deep midnight blue, mm-hmm. just silk on the inside, embroidered on the outside. Yeah, my uncle was six six, so it goes like. Uh-huh. You know, down to like halfway down my calves. Uh, it's it's a really great robe, and it's so fucking silky and slippery that if you tie the belt, it's just like oh and my it'll just God. like it just like opens right up. You can't. You, there's no cinching said robe, mm-hmm. uh, and um, but it was really touching to me because I'd known. His like buddies, um, when I was little, like when I would, you know, go with my mom out to New York so she could visit her little brother. My mom was 10 years older than him, so mm-hmm. you know, like at, at the time, she's like 35 and he's 25, mm-hmm. you know, and I met all his friends, like. The dudes he fucking ran around with or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're all nice to me because I was like the fucking kid in a universe where there's not a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. Manhattan for one. Mm -hmm. um, Gay Manhattan in the 80s for another. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so I was, and like I got that robe in the mail and I was just like, fuck. I think that was the. 
actual, now that I think about it, kind of block that out. It, that was sort of like the tinder stick for this whole song. Oh, wow. Like when I got that package, and I was just like, damn, man. Tom sent me this robe? Fuck. Uh-huh. It's awesome. And, you know, I like Tom. He's awesome. And Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was all, like, obviously, like, the whole experience was wild, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, it resulted in this mediocre song, I guess. The power of Christ <laughs> compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The Dude, what the fuck? Hmm? Eh, f- uh, fucking man. Like, forget it. <laughs> Let's leave it on Patreon. Patreon.com slash better yet sandwich. No, better sandwich. <laughs> better sandwich. Yeah, no. What the fuck indeed? Yeah. Um, we talk about, uh, yeah, this is a, it, dude, this is, it's funny that you're bringing this up too is like the the germination point for the Lawrence Arms too because that Salman Rushdie coming out. Oh right, there is yeah right right to be reborn. First you have to die. Satanic verses. It's one day I'll read it maybe if I get time. It's a really good book. Um, I call it the best book I ever read in my life on this. But the truth is. Uh, there's a top five I have, all of which kind of deal with very similar um, sort of fictive conceptualizations that are, um, in the end, very philosophical. All right, top five. Let's hear it. Let's fucking hear it. Uh, it's um, Tin Drum by Gunter Grass. Uh-huh. Master Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. Yeah. Um, it's actually not the Satanic Verses. It's um, Midnight's Children by Salman mm-hmm. Rushdie. Um, Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. Mm-hmm. And the fifth one is... Fuck, I mean... I've not, like, challenged this top five in so long, but I can't remember what the fifth one is. It was on my old fucking blog. God damn it. Um, oh, the Bad Sandwich Chronicles? I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tin Drum is actually one that I'm not familiar with. I know that it was uh, controversial. I know that there's a movie, but I don't you, know well, much you know, about like, it. The, um, the Nobel Prize for Literature is usually won by... Um, for your the your lifetime body of work, mm-hmm. Gunter Grass pretty much won the Nobel Prize for the Tin Drum. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like such a profound statement at the time, yeah. That I think people were like, "Well, this is the um, you know novelist laureate of Germany, and here is the Nobel Prize," uh-huh. <laughs> you know. And, he went on to continue to be great, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a profound, profound work. Um, 
Let me see if I can fucking find this goddamn nonsense because I. Well, while you're talking, I gotta say I know that I know that you wanted to rag on, on uh, white noise on the podcast earlier, but I'll tell you what, the fact that I moved to a college town during Libra season, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Not by design. I've read that guy front to back. Didn't even think about it until I was very within it. And I was like, huh, pretty funny. And then I remembered, Don DeLillo's got a play called Valparaiso. It takes place in Valparaiso. I read that shit too. How'd that, uh, how'd that go over? Turn around, Master Margarita, Catch-22, Midnight's Children. Okay, I got four. You got four. <laughs> um, I mean, it's cool. We've been garbage picking a lot, too. And that's what Underworld is just about, is garbage. Um, so it's just like, it's hitting. It's hitting hard. And uh, Yeah, well, you know, the world is a vampire, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ever read Raymond Carver? Yeah, man. Um... That one where he swims home. Yeah. Um, I really like that one. Um, I love, like, one sentence description of uh, Ray Carver stories is fucking, that should be its own genre. The one where he's got the two bottles of uh, Andre behind the toilet when his uh, ex-wife is on her way over. Yeah, that one's, that's my favorite one. Yeah, I mean, well... It's just great. I love all that fucking weird, like, when people are just learning how to write, like, human beings mm-hmm. shit, you know? Like, yeah. look, who who started that? Fonte, right? And then who, well, Twain, maybe, but, like, in the modern era, you know. The, Hemingway. No, Hemingway still sucks. He Fuck He's still, off. like... He's still up his ass. It's just, he uses simple prose, but it's not the way people talk or think. But like Fonte was like, I woke up and my stomach hurt. And you know what? I I felt like I needed to eat the cold pizza off the table. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's like the way you do things, Mm -hmm. which is not the way Hemingway writes, you know? She sat above a red tablecloth with a shitty chandelier <laughs> uh, shining light down on her face and enjoyed oysters. Like, it's like there's like a fucking, like, mm-hmm. there's still like a stiltedness to it. It's like he's going for it. Not quite there. Um, but, like, Fonte nails it. And then Bukowski, who comes along after Fonte and... Cites Fonte is like his biggest influence. Mm-hmm. Also nails it. Uh, I would like to say and this sucks because I think Bukowski's amazing, and I think there's no shame in loving Bukowski. But I did read Fonte before I ever read Bukowski because I was always like thought that the Bukowski bro culture was uh, meant that he was bad. Yeah, for sure. But after I read the Fonte stuff, I was like, 
yo, I'm gonna check out this motherfucker. And I was like, oh, he's very, very good. But that's that's the real shit right there, man. Um, Hemingway's uh, short stories was my uh, senior like thesis class, and that was really interesting because he fucking uh, he wrote and rewrote and rewrote and revised and rewrote and it's wild what he like preens down to that's definitely like what i what i look at with chris's writing so much is like based on like how that shit just was like hammered into you start with a guy who's like writing it by hand and then he writes it by type and we had access to all of the drafts and just seeing him take out one word and it changes everything it was pretty dope pretty dope it is it's like the the second to last draft of that like shortest story in the world it's like uh for sale one baby dick overused i believe was what it was yep. uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and like what a different story <laughs> what a different tale it was it's funny cuz I, I didn't go into this episode thinking that this was how it's going to uh, play out, but we talked about three songs that one of them was uh, something that Chris was thinking about using for the Lawrence Arms uh, under my belt. We talked about how Dan really hones in on that song for the honor mm-hmm. system, and it was Pancho Villa. This is the gateway into Lawrence Arms for your writing. Those are the last three Broadway songs that are recorded. Yeah, I think it's like the pictures of you in your awkward teenage years where it's like, oh, my God, I don't necessarily love that. Mm -hmm. But like that was me attempting to do the thing that I would grow up to do, you know, like Mm -hmm. and. And, like, in that way, it's kind of adorable. But in another very real way, it's like, well, glad I'm not in the Broadway anymore. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, I really look forward to kind of diving into the the seven-inch songs and the one comp song on the rest of this record. Uh, Because those are where I think the Broadways were pure. And I look forward to it, too. That's what we're going to do next week. On Road to the Skeleton Coast, the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts that are about Brendan Kelly, hosted by <laughs> Tim Crisp, with Brendan Kelly, featuring Brendan Kelly, his assistant, yeah, right. Brendan Kelly. Featured, featured extra, yeah, sidekick, featured extra. Um, we're going to come back, uh, next week and we're going to talk about these songs. I want everybody who's listening right now to do me a favor and tweet Brendan at bad sandwich and tell him what your favorite song from skeleton coast is. And what is your favorite line in that song? Because let me tell you something about this guy. This guy made one of the best records of his entire life and you know i 
I'm so happy that we get to do this in the way that we do every week, but there's, I, I, I would trade it to let you, to watch you go out and fucking perform these songs and like, let this fucking record get to live the life that it was supposed to live. Well, someday, hopefully that will happen. And, you know, I agree with you and it it is regrettable, but it's like, we're all fucking suffering. And at least we got like a little bit of a, it's not a new soundtrack anymore, but you know, let's, let's get through this, listen to the songs. And then, you know, like back in like my parents day, they're like, I don't believe Led Zeppelin's finally coming to America. <laughs> you know, it was like three years and they came and it didn't mean it was any less cool, you know? So that's what it's going to be for all of these artists that are just trying to keep on right now. You know what? I like you more than Led Zeppelin. I like me more than Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We loaded it up with fucking content this week. I tell you what, and uh, we will continue to do that. We invite you to head on over there. Uh, throw us a few bucks a month to get me some get me a light actually at the in the ceiling of this office um but we'll be back on the feed either way next week picking up where we left off with broken van by the broadways we will see you then thank you friends later y'all another hit another fucking hit